Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba. Are you listening to the Blue Day podcast? Enjoy. Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you this individual on the podcast today. He made 242 appearances for the club, scoring 45 goals. He was part of the Chelsea squad that achieved promotion in 1984, and he won the full Members' Cup in 1986. Plus, he is part of the furniture at Chelsea TV, where you can listen to him on a weekly basis. A true Chelsea icon. Here is Pat Nevin. Pat, how are you? Welcome to the Blue Day podcast. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, and thanks for the, the glowing review at the start. Can I throw in Player of the Year twice? <laughs> because we are going to mention that, yes. We are um, going to mention not many, not many people have, have have achieved that feat, so we will we will talk about that. We'll get on to that, but um, no, yeah, it's, it's kind of lovely because I've actually for many many years, and this is going to sound odd to Chelsea fans, I hadn't looked back, I hadn't considered it because you know you move on after you've played for one club, um, and you you have an entire career after that. I certainly did. Um, and then it's only after that you think, right, okay, which team do I support? And, well, that wasn't even a question. It was always going to be Chelsea. But from that, you still have other things you've got to do. And you're trained not to look back. And so it didn't until recently. And uh, we're going to ch- chat a wee bit about my Chelsea career, I believe. And to be honest, had you asked me this two and a half years ago, I'd been a blank sheet, honestly. And bits of it I remembered. But I had to study it for this book I was writing. And uh, so I might even be able to give you some sensible answers. <laughs> well, that would help. But as long as it's the truth, even better. But it is great to have you on the show. I know that you know, the last few months you've been extremely busy commentating and writing columns. And there is a certain book out that you would like to mention as well that we will discuss later. But just to start off with the podcast, I would like you to take us back where it all started for you and who or what for you, made you decide that you wanted to become a professional footballer in the first place? Right. Well, number one, if you go right to the start, um, when I was very young, uh, I grew up in Glasgow, um, Celtic supporting family, 
And the first strip that I ever bought, Chelsea. And that is weird for a wee guy up in Glasgow. And strips, the Chelsea strips weren't easy to get. And remember, I'm a Celtic supporter. And I buy a blue strip. I mean, what the hell is going on? I'll tell you what was going on. Um, the cup final. Um, and United against Leeds United. One of the great iconic moments of Chelsea Football Club. And Chelsea were just so cool. <laughs> so cool as a club. And the players were so cool and the whole Kingswood thing. So I kind of liked them then. So I, that's that. Then, then it all goes away. And then I, I kind of play a lot of football as a kid. And, and eventually, I kind of look as if, it looks as if for a lot of people I'm good enough to be a footballer. But I don't particularly fancy it, <laughs> weirdly. So I tried really hard not to be a professional footballer and failed miserably <laughs> because <laughs> I ended up doing a degree. And while I was doing the degree, I was just playing for fun. Now, remember, in the midst of all this, I love playing football as much as anyone. It's just I didn't see it as a job and I didn't fancy it that much as a job. I thought it was a bit, it was a bit iffy. I'd, I'd maybe lose my love and the joy of it. Um, and so I've, I was playing one day with my mates and we were playing against Clyde Reserves. And uh, the manager spotted me and asked me if I could play for them, for his professional team. And I said, nah, I'm doing a degree, mate. And they went, it's only part-time. You can still do your degree and we'll give you 35, 40 quid a week. And I went, give me a pen. Now I'm going to sign. Because <laughs> I wanted to buy albums and I didn't, as a student, I didn't have it. Anyway, I still did it for fun for the first year, but it went pretty well. And Chelsea came in to buy me. Uh, but I went, even though it's a lovely offer, no, not have it. I'm not leaving my degree. So I turned Chelsea down for an entire year because I wanted to finish this degree. And it, it's and I, not many people do that, let's be fair. <laughs> that is true, yeah, and that is true. Year, after a year, they came back badgering me again. And I thought, I'll just take a two-year sabbatical from the degree go down and have a little bit of fun in London and do my best. It's probably going to lead to nothing. And uh, I joined Chelsea from, from that. So now it makes me sound as if I don't care. I did care. And I, I was incredibly hardworking. Nobody stayed longer at training than me. I went back in the afternoons. Um, and and I, I used to go long distance running during the evenings along the Thames. Uh, I was fanatical fitness man. So much to my shock and amazement that first year, I got in the team almost immediately with four other players that had signed and it just exploded. And a lot of Chelsea fans for that year often talk to me about that first season uh, and what was the second division, which would now be the championship. And I'll be honest with you, I've got lots of memories from a 19-year football career. I'll tell you what, that, that season's hard to beat. It was absolutely brilliant fun. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but I just wanted you to sort of discuss the summer of 1983, where you did eventually sign for Chelsea from Clyde for, I believe it was around £95,000. How did that move eventually come about? I know you've just sort of mentioned that Chelsea was sniffing around you a little bit beforehand, but when did the moment come when you decided you are going to sign for Chelsea, that this would be the best move for you? Well, it's pure logic. It was absolutely pure logic. And I wish I could tell you it was heart and soul, etc. But it was pure logic. As I say, 
I'm going to take two years off my degree because Chelsea are offering me a contract. Had I stayed on the degree and not accepted Chelsea's offer, I wanted to go to the World Youth Championships in Mexico with Scotland. And had I gone there, I was going to miss all my final exams and would have had to sit them all, six of them on reset, which means passing all exams on reset. If you fail one, you're out. And that was a bit tricksy, that one. That was a bit taking a massive chance. So in simple terms, I just thought, I'll not take the exams in you know, June, whatever, May. I'll go with Scotland under-20s to Mexico, which I did and had a brilliant time at the World Youth Champions. I think we got to the semis. Um, do you know, there's a classic moment of it. We, <laughs> we beat uh, the Mexicans 1-0, I think it was the quarterfinals, in the Aztec Stadium. There's just under 100,000 people there. They started rioting, but we beat them 1-0. And the 1-0 was a near-post corner from Nevin, headed in at the front post by one Stevie Clark. Wow. <laughs> this is astonishing when you think about it. Um, so Clarkie and I were sort of linking up then, long before we'd, we'd even met at Chelsea. <laughs> so uh, I had a brilliant time over there. Then came back um, and, and thought, well, I'll just go down to Chelsea. I went down and Ian McNeil had been camped outside my my house and my mum and dad's house in Glasgow for like weeks. He was told by Batesy to go up and don't come back unless you've got him. <laughs> and also he'd said, he'd said to uh, Ian McNeil, who was a man who kind of scouted me, he said to Dixie, he said, do you rate this kid? And Taking a big chance with a skinny wee student like me. And he goes, Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. To which basically he says, Would you would you stake your job on this? And he went, Oh yes. He goes, Good, you have. <laughs> You've just staked your job on him. You better work. So there's a lot of pressure on you for me to do well. But when I went down, when I eventually came back, um, I, I, I didn't expect to win the team. Um, we'd signed a whole bunch of new players. And it's a big call, you know, to leave your home at 18, 19, well, I was 19, um, to go down to London. It helped me a wee bit. I came from Glasgow, big city, so I'm kind of cool that way. Um, but all sorts of adventures forward. I mean, when I arrived in the train at Euston, um, the Chelsea official was waiting there to take me to uh, the, the, the digs, as in with her family. And I went, no, no, I was promised a flat. And they went, oh, we're very good. And they like, treated me like a little kid. And I said, just wait there a minute, would you? And I walked away. And he came in, where are you going? And I said, I'm going back up the road. Get lost. <laughs> if you go white and they'll not coming. <laughs> just went, what? And they couldn't get their head around my attitude, um, which was, you know, I, if somebody didn't say or do the right thing by me, I didn't care. I've got all things. I've got a degree I can do, you know. Um, so they finally got their head around the way I was, which was not nasty. It was just, you know, quite moral, quite ethical, um, and quite, you know, if you do the right thing by me, don't worry, I'll not let you down, kind of attitude. Eventually stayed, you know, and it, the, the first few weeks were quite tough, a, a month's even quite tough. But John Neal in training, he kind of seen me as well, and he obviously rated me. And he did this one brilliant trick, got to tell you about this. So we were doing the, the pre-season training. John Neal did this they did this brilliant thing. So pre-season training at uh, Aberystwyth. And uh, I'm a kid. They, they think I should, all the other players think I should be with the youth team. It's because I'm small and skinny, etc. 
and uh, they're all training. And we've got the hard work up the sand dunes and down again. Now, basically, it's a piece of cake for me. I'm light, but also I was a distance runner, which I hadn't told anyone. And, uh, and on the runs at the end of the training session, it was about a five-mile run, four or five-mile run back to where we were staying, which was the halls of residence um, for the students. Can you imagine the current players doing that? I no, not. absolutely <laughs> not, no. Right. So, uh, but I'm pinging along there. And there were three or four of us pinging along. So John knew that I was fit enough to do it all. They also set up some games at the training. So all the lads set up this kind of cones to dribble through. Now, to be honest, I'll, I'll be Olympic standard. I'll take anyone like that, right? <laughs> it's just absolutely my... To go back to uh, it's a knockout, I'm playing my joker on this one, right? <laughs> So we played, we started it, and it was about 10 cones to get in and dribble and dribble back through them. And I can basically almost dribble as quick as I can run. <laughs> flew through them and flew back. And I could hear all the players going, ah, wow. <laughs> you know, and it was set up by John Neal. He didn't tell me, but he set it up so that people could think, oh, wait a minute, he's got something. And there was one final moment in this first pre-season and somebody played a ball up to me. See, back in those days, I, before I came to Chelsea, I'd never played in the wing. So I was a striker and I was a 10. I'd, uh, I played the ball and Mickey Droy came in to tackle me and I've sold the big man a dummy. And honestly, he must have went 10 yards one way and I went the other way. And I could hear him as I turned away going, and excuse the language, you'll have to bleep it. <laughs> I think I'm getting too fucking out for this time. <laughs> and I was killing myself because he was fun, he was having a laugh, and Mickey Droy was a, he was a massive personality and person in the club's history, and uh, everyone kind of just looked and went right, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him, and I was just get lucky then because, you know, I hadn't been there long, but I could tell we bought a whole bunch of new players, and it was whether we could sink or swim would decide, because the club, the club had almost got relegated Clive Walker had stopped him getting relegated in the last game of the previous season so to the third tier, I mean, wow, would Chelsea have ever recovered from it? It's like probably yes, because the fans would have stuck by us, but um, you know, that was that was how close it was. We could have been in the third tier, we stayed up, made a few buys, and went on and had a brilliant season that season. Do you remember your first day of training? after signing for Chelsea and, you know, what was your conversations like with John Neal? Do you remember if he said anything to you at the start about what he had plans for you? Was there any sort of conversations like that? No, no, nothing like that with John Neal because he had bought others. With me, um, he was kind of trying to get to know me. That was a wee bit different from the other players. I had different backgrounds. I came from an educational background. Um, I had different ideals from most of the guys, a different dress sense to them. I just didn't look with the rest. And I think he was just trying to get to know me a wee bit and watch me. But John and I, John was from the North and I'm from the North. And there's a kind of coded messaging that we have as Northerners. Like when we come down south, we will work and we will be professional and we will show that we are not Northern idiots, you know, and, does it? And he, he, he was a very wise man, John Neal, and he understood um, that people, you know, were scamming him or trying to cheat, you know. And 
you know, other managers would say, don't cut a corner, you're just cheating yourself if you're doing a run. And John didn't. He just watched him and thought, you're not my type. You're cutting it. You're trying to cheat. Whereas others who had the right attitude of, no, no, this is actually about getting me fit. It's not about winning a race. And he liked people like that. And, you know, certainly he got to know my personality quite well, fairly quickly. But certainly in that first week or two, you know, obviously setting those, that little dribbling thing up so that I could show players that I could play. Um, and in those pre-season games, there was, it was always the yellows versus the blues. I mean, the current Chelsea strip, look at it. It's like the strips we wore, <laughs> you know, the yellows of the home team, the yellows are waiting, the blues are home team. And right at the start, I was always I was in the yellows for the first few weeks, which is, you know, because there was players ahead of me uh, on the wing, like Clive Walker, like uh, Peter Lewis Brown, Canners. You know, we we had, you know, wide attacking players that, you know, were ahead of me in the queue because I just, I was a really cheap new buy. I mean, we'd bought players like Kerry Dixon, who was a golden boy, and that's who everyone was looking at. So I, I, I came in there and walked in there really quietly. And which suited me down and down because no pressure whatsoever, mm. you know, other than the pressure I put on myself. You made your debut for the club in the League Cup. Do you remember who it was against? Um, I do. But then again, I've recently been looking through the details. <laughs> I, I would always remember that. I think it was Gillingham, wasn't it? That's um, right. Yep. And I can remember my first touch. Um and the first touch is really weird, right? Because I came on and uh, I can't remember how long it is in the game, but certainly during the second half. And I'd kind of been used to being a kind of 10, but I've been asked to play wider. And it, I, it was kind of weird for me, but I, I had to learn how to do this. And there was someone, I could hear kind of mumbles around the ground of, but what's that kid doing on the pitch? Because <laughs> it did look at 14, right? And the first ball was played up and I was coming from a central position running out towards the right wing and it was about two feet above my head and obviously the centre half was going to come in and batter through and head it. Okay. I got up and leapt and nicked it over the top of him and head, beat him in the air. So my first touch for Chelsea was beating a centre back in the air and then running onto it and nearly getting onto it and nearly creating a chance. And it, and I can remember people going, whoa, that's just surprise. <laughs> didn't expect that. But then they should have done because they had Speedy who was very good in the air, you know, who was my height as well. So it was just that willingness. Um, but I, that was the first game. We certainly we won. Um, but I, for me, it was a game, but it wasn't a real game because I hadn't started. I hadn't been given a chance. I wanted to be given a chance. Um, and when I was given a chance, you know, you know, I could show how good I could be. And I didn't care where it was or who it would be against. In that game, Kerry Dixon scored all the goals. We won 4-0. He scored, he scored all four of them. What was Kerry Dixon like to play with? Um, if you look at the shed end wall now, if you're walking by the, by the Chelsea store, um, there's a quote from me about Kerry. And it is true, he would score goals in the modern game. Without it. Without a shadow of that, that good a finisher, it, it would be fine. Natural finisher. Lightning quick and really stupidly quick. Um, you're kind of Verna, sort of quick. Right. Uh, and, you know, you, players used to, I can't remember in five years 
Kerry not winning a scrim. I mean, be it 10 yards, be it 20, be it 50, be it 100. I mean, put them over 100 and I'll hammer them <laughs> for, for distance. <laughs> but, um, there was a lot of quick players. Footballs are quick, generally. And mm. we had a lot of players who were quick, the canners and a lot of Clive Walker was lightning, really lightning as well. I've never seen Kerry get Just amazing. Uh, so he's got that pace. He's a natural goal scorer. It's good in the air. And, you know, maybe a real push you would say, you know, touch with his back to the goal wasn't the very, very best. You can't have everything. And um, what he eventually, what he did was quite soon, he he had a great partnership quite soon into the, his career with Speedo. And they just worked well together. I mean, they moaned and complained to each other forever. But, you know, they, and they both were kind of selfish goal scorers in the nicest yeah. sense. But with Kerry, um, he kind of he learned very quickly. If, if you ask him what I felt about him, it's how his relationship with me and the pitch was. He just quickly learned. If I turn and move and go, you know, I mean, if he, Kerry, if he turns and moves and goes, I'll deliver it. Maybe. Yeah. So don't you worry. Don't do your look. Don't even have to catch my eye. I'll, I'll see. And when you start, when you immediately get somebody who does that, and they're not coming short all the time, they're not, they're just moving intelligently and quickly, you can find them. And I spent a lot of time. Now, most fans would, and if also if I went to the byline, I just needed to look at roughly where Kerry was. You generally know where he, his preferred place was. But, you know, if it, if it wasn't the back post attacking the ball, he would dart near or he would sit back. I would just look for Kerry all the time. Now, to be honest, usually I had others to look for as well. But you generally aim for Kerry, you know, blonde, six foot two, hell of a good scorer. It's not a bad target to go for. <laughs> and because he kind of, I understood that he made my life easy. He made me look good because if I got two yards of space and there was a ball on, I'll, play, I'll find it. You know, and it's, it's hard to explain. Younger Chelsea fans um, often ask me what type of player I was. And you, you almost have to look up YouTube and there's a even skills when you can look up that vague idea of that sort of style. But in the end, it, it was I'm closer probably to David Silva type player mm-hmm. um, if you're a modern fan watching. Not as good as him, but you know, that's the kind of player I was. Um, and if you give David Silva half a yard, you'll find the striker. Mm-hmm. You know, and you feel as if you yeah, I'll find you. Oh, it's okay. It's up to you then to score. So the understanding is brilliant. I like Kerry a lot. Um, Kerry's had lots of troubles. Many people, Chelsea fans, have known it. Kerry has an absolute heart of gold. Total heart of gold. And, and I, I think the guy is fantastic. I still think he is. And he was, without a doubt, one of the great scorers. And if you would have told me back then his goal scoring record is going to be overtaken by a midfielder, I would say, you're a nutter. <laughs> Frank Lampard beat Kerry's numbers. It was unbelievable, man. Because yeah. Kerry was amazing, but it just shows you how staggeringly brilliant Frank is. Yes, ab- absolutely. And as you say, the numbers that Kerry produced on a weekly basis and sort of more his performances as well, he is up there as one of the greats for in many Chelsea fans' eyes in as as the number nine. And we'll talk about sort of the current Chelsea number nine later on, but you scored your first goal for the club against our 
near neighbours at Fulham yeah. in the league. Not a bad way to get the supporters on side by scoring in a derby. Well, what was a good thing about it, it was uh, televised and the highlights were showing quite a lot because it was a really boring 5-3 win for us. <laughs> it was a brilliant game. Very, very open. I remember Kerry scored a hat-trick. I think he did get a hat-trick. Um, certainly Gordon Davis got a hat-trick for film on the day. But it was. The, I remember the stuff was perfect. Um, films, I love Big Caught Jenny. It's lovely grand. Um but it was a very open game, which suits me. Because if yeah. a game is stretched in the space, that's fine. It suits me. I will get space and I will use it. And yeah, I did score my uh, my first goal. It was not my favourite moment of the game. <laughs> Nowhere near it. No, not even a chance. What was near clear by then is the Chelsea fans were phenomenal. Now, they travelled everywhere. That was a good one. They didn't have to travel too far. The noise in the ground was bouncing. You try to explain to people this is early in a second division campaign in the the second tier and the Chelsea fans were oh the noise was deafening but I had a decent game Um, and as a goal I made for Colin Lee on the day, again you can see on YouTube and that goal I I was much 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 happier with that um, assist than I was with scoring a goal because the, what I did there, the type of move I did, so I ran across a player, drew players, and flicked slightly behind me into an area for Colin to run on at an angle. And the computation of doing that, I, it's kind of, it was, I knew it was good. I knew it was good. You know, there's not many players that would, would have thought of doing that. Um, and I was very, very, very pleased with it. But what became very clear from just about then, there was a number of Chelsea fans going, you like him <laughs> this is really early and it was beginning to get a little bit of a buzz um, and the newspapers beginning to pick up a wee bit that they were kind of impressed um, certainly I'd come down quietly, Charlie Nicholas had signed for Arsenal the same week as I signed for Chelsea, everybody right. knew Champagne Charlie and his nightclubs and his big move and Arsenal and I was the kind of quiet one coming in in the corner and um, but after that game, it started to kind of build up a wee bit and people were asking for interviews, which I kind of refused to do at the time. I just said, no, I, I don't really want to do anything. I just want to you know, concentrate and get my, my game right. But at that point in time, I'm beginning to get, you know, I played against Sheffield Wednesday, I think. Up there, we get beat, but we should have won and we had a good... Uh, I laid on Clive Walker for a goal, which was called offside, which wasn't offside. Um, so it was kind of was sneaking in um, to the team. I think Clive Walker got injured, broken jaw or something. And that opened the door. And it's just the way I, Clive's a great mate. Still is to this day. Brass football. When you get a chance, you take it. And I'll be honest with you, John Neal wanted us new guys in there. There's no doubt about it. So when I got my chance, I tried to take it. And the goal helped. And the win helped. The exciting football help. And John Neal said a great line at the end of it. Was, I looked at that scoreboard and I thought, 5-3 to Chelsea. Because that's what I like to see. Could you imagine Jose Mourinho saying that? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I think he would have got grey hair after after three months if that, if that was the case rather than uh, later on. That was the yeah, action. Yeah. I mean, we had a manager who loved exciting football. 
and that's why I think Chelsea fans at that time will talk and talk back um, longingly because it was a absolutely joyous attack minded side. You know, both fullbacks always flew forward. We had two, two wingers all the time. The midfielders were hard working, but they got forward to it. And, and honestly, it was ultra positive. And we never, ever, we didn't, who, didn't care who we played against, we never sat back. We just attacked. Well, individually for you, you managed to score 14 goals for Chelsea that season. Some wide men in this current game would love a return like that. Was you happy with those return or was you sort of putting too much maybe expectation on you to provide more? And again, with you being the wide player providing assists to Dixon and Speedy, how how did you fare sort of overall in, in your the goals, opinion? The goals are a bonus. Hmm. Um, you know, kind of, but I was... My idea was I'm creation. That's what I'm about. I'm, if I can create 25 goals, you know, that's good. That'll do for me. 20, 25 would be a good number for me. And to be honest, you have a look at stats these days, that, nobody gets. <laughs> mm. That's what I wanted to get. Mm. If when Because I, I did talk to John Neal and said to him, look, I'm not a winger. You know, I'm, I can play 10. 10 is better for me. It's a play striker. You know, but I'll try and learn this wing thing. But, you know, when there's an opportunity, please stick me in the middle, I'll score for you, because I can score. And uh, I can remember once during that season, because uh, I played up front a few times, it was one or two were injured, because we had Colin Lee with Kerry, Speedo with Kerry. Then if Speedo was injured, I got stuck in there with Kerry. I scored every time I played centre forward, every time. And I went and see manager and I said, well, I'm scoring every time I play in there. You know, you look at the modern day game, there's plenty of smaller strikers. That are, you know, play with a big guy sometimes, but you can do it. You can play false name, etc. And he said, you're scoring goals for me in the wing. You'll score goals for me at far, but maybe not that much more. So I'll just keep you on the wing because you'll keep on providing that. Wing. And I'll keep those two centre forwards on. He goes, I've got the best of both worlds. And I said, yeah, but that doesn't help me. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you're concentrating, creating. I went, okay, I will do. And I love to create a cider, as I was explaining with that full and goal there. So that's exactly what I did. I concentrated on the creating. And as I say, many of my favourite memories that first season or two, I, I couldn't tell you many of the goals I scored. Mm. I can't close my eyes and think, oh, right, that was that one. Um, but I can tell you a lot of the assists. I can remember quite a few of them, you know, where I beat two or three players, dragged someone and then slip Kerry in for a, a tap in. And of course the stats all say Kerry scored all those goals. But they don't say how many of them were simple tap-ins, you know, because like you've laid them on a plate. But that didn't matter to me. I counted all my assists. Mm. It's a common thing now, you see now. But at the time, uh, I kept diaries a wee bit, but I just kept numbers um, myself. And I knew that I would score at least one goal every five games, and I would hope to create nearly one a game. You know, that's what I was looking for. Um, they're kind of that didn't sound to me like high numbers. You look at it now; they are kind of high numbers. Yeah. Well, that particular season concluded with Chelsea winning promotion back to the first division. You've mentioned with the size of 
Chelsea Football Club even back in the 80s. But how crucial was it for the club overall to get back into the top flight and for also with the players that you had in the squad, the quality that was there, crucial was it for them to be in the first division? Um, I think the crucial side of it was simple. Club was skin. <laughs> they took the money. <laughs> Batesy had tried really hard. Um, you know, and Batesy's got a lot of people that love him, others think less of him. I had a complicated re- relationship with Ken Bates. But absolutely, the club had, not, I don't know if it ever really got out of the debt of buying, building that main stand. Um, so finances were difficult. Um, so the getting to the top flight was very, very important, I think, for finances. We could then strengthen the team a little bit more, even. Uh, for us, we couldn't give a stuff about that side of it. Sorry. We just wanted to be the best we could be. That's all we cared about. I'll be honest with you, we won the league that year on the last day against Grimsby, uh, which was so fitting because I uh, created the winner for Kerry. You know what's amazing about that? I'd never seen that go up until about six months ago. And really? Six months ago, yeah, someone showed me. It was... Somebody found it online and posted it in my Twitter feed. And I'd seen, I finally seen this goal. I beat a couple of players in the ring, put it back post, Kerry headed it. I think classic one of what we did. So I finally saw that goal. Um, but we kind of didn't know. You, you, you don't know before you come up. You look at this season. How did, how did Norwich feel when they're turning up just now? I was at the Norwich game last week when they played Man City, got humped 5 0. When you come up, you think you might be good enough, but you have no idea, really. You only find out when you're there. And that was the thing. I, I had no fear of it. I was perfectly comfortable. I mean, I'm not an arrogant person, but if I'm on a pitch, I don't care who you are, I think I can do it. And that's the way you have to be. But the first, we were lucky because our first game was away at Arsenal. And it was glorious. And we would find out that day whether we were up, because they were one of the top teams, you know, and they were, and it was at their place. And the place was, again, Chelsea fans mobbed, sang all the way through. They were everywhere. There's a there's oh. an iconic moment when Kerry Dixon scored and the whole stand behind that goal just erupted. Chelsea fans everywhere just went absolute bananas. And Dixon with the iconic, moment as well for him scoring the goal do you have memories of that particular game as you say it was the first game back in the first division do you have many memories of that game in particular it was yeah I do um the Arsenal are a good side but I had an absolute battle against their fullback um and I was up against the best fullback in England by a distance um and one of the best in the world Kenny Sanson at the time um and he was one of the best in the world but so I knew that this was a big step up. Um, if I can do a job in him and create some chances, um, then I'll, I'll be okay. Um, so I had an absolute battle with him. He never got forward, and he used to get forward a lot of the time, but he very rarely got forward in that game. Uh, he didn't have, have the beating of me for running. Um, skills-wise, I got by him a few times, and I knew by the end of that game, it's okay. I can live at this level. It's fine. Um, so that my memory of that, Boiling hot day, the joy of the Chelsea fans. I rarely in my life celebrated a draw. Couldn't, can't be bothered with draws. One wins, right? But I celebrated a draw that day. 
because it is meant so much because we knew we'd, we'd arrived and Chelsea fans knew we'd arrived and it was just that over oh, there and we're fine um, and at the end of the game I remember walking off and Kenny Sanson had this one thing he had one thing I hated playing against and I hate and it's the only thing don't care who I play against but there's one thing I do not want in my marker I don't want him to be smaller than me <laughs> I hate that <laughs> or my height was smaller than me I hated that because what many of the things that I would use such as you know, tight turning circle and stuff, things like that they work better uh, or worked better against taller players so the harder ones for me were the, the little guys you know Tony Derigo wasn't very big. I remember playing against Tony. Loved playing against, against him because he was one of the best. Um, but he was also not the tallest. So I was found difficult. But I would make a point in training when he came to us. I'm going to play against you because I want to play against the best. Um, so that was my memories of, of we're going to be fine here. The Chelsea fans are going to be great. They've deserved this the way they followed us everywhere during the last season and and outsang everybody in the last season. Um, so it was, yeah, 1-1 one, one was joyous, which is unusual for me. <laughs> now, the club finished sixth that season, which for a promoted club in any league is quite a astonishing achievement if you look at it. Was there any discussions amongst the lads in the dressing room about how far this Chelsea side could go either during that season or after that season, especially when you was bringing you know, other players into the squad as well? Was there sort of sort of that glass ceiling that you was trying to break whereby you could potentially mount a title challenge? Was there any talk about that in the dressing room? In reality, six was disappointing for us. Um, a period of that season, I mean, you think of the goals we scored in, uh, between myself, David and Kerry, um, and others chipping in as well. Six was disappointing. We were better than that. Um, and that was, that's a good thing to feel. You know, the end of first season back up, being gutted by six, because we we, we had been higher. Um, you know, maybe we didn't have depth to squad. Maybe we needed a little bit more experience as well. Day to day, did you say, we can do this, we can do that? No, you didn't. You absolutely just played every game and you could do the best. But certainly at that point in time, uh, over that summer, that next summer, uh, my thoughts would have been, yeah, we'll do better than six next season. We'd be absolutely confident we'll do better. I mean, think about it. The players that we brought in were getting better. I mean, I was now 21, so hopefully I'm improving as a player. Um, Kerry doesn't look as if he's going to stop scoring goals. We all begin to learn the people we're playing against as well. Uh, Spackman, we don't want to have a phenomenal career. We've, People kind of laugh at Spacker sometimes. You used to remember somebody saying to him, um, one of the coaches saying to him, get the ball, win it, and give it to people who can play. And that was really harsh on Spackers because even when he played for Liverpool and Rangers, and very unfortunate never to get an England cap. Um, but if you look through our team, it just was really settled. You know, it, 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 there was decent quality in just about every single possession. Um, I started looking at our reserves and our reserves now there's a period of time I don't know if it's just about then where our reserve team was had a forward line with Billy Dodds who went on to play for Scotland Duncan Shearer who went on to play for Scotland Kevin McAllister who 
not dissimilar type of player to me, um, but was a very, very good player. You'll note all Scots there. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Gordon Davis, and uh, all our reserves were, went on to be internationals. You know, that's a decent standard that we'd kind of built up there. So I thought the next season, without actually saying to each other, we can win things. That was on our mind. We're here to win things. And had you said to me then, my first season, we won uh, the league. The second season, we get top six. I'm not thinking of going back down. I'm thinking of, well, we keep on going here. This is a progression. you know. And we will all have just, without actually saying it to each other, yeah, we'd have all absolutely expected that. Yeah. Later on, John Neal was replaced by John Hollins. Looking back, what was your thoughts on this decision? And overall, what did you what did you think of John Hollins as a coach? Um, I do read quite extensively in my book about this, in my recent book about this, because um, it's really you tend to read football books, and it's a lot of score settling, and I find that a bit boring. Because it's just somebody's opinion about and trying to have a dig back. And I'm, I think that dull. And I've never been like that. What I quite like to do, and what I did when I played, was look around, listen, see people's point of views, and try and understand what the hell was going on. The next season after the sixth place, we had another season where we were absolutely capable of being. And there was a period, there definitely was a period, where we had a chance of winning the league. And we were up there. I remember well after Christmas one season where when our game's in hand and we go top, and this is well into the second part of the season, and you're not a rubbish team if you do that. You're right up there. Now, for a variety of reasons, uh, it didn't happen. One of them was depth of squad. Another one uh, was John Neal stepping back and the change in management meant the change in style, which... Didn't work as well. Simple. Didn't work as well. There was a third one which I'll go on to remind me to get back to the third problem, right? Because it's 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 something that we kind of forget a wee bit. But when John Hollins took over as manager, by the way, I love Holly. <laughs> I absolutely love the guy. Um, and so should all Chelsea fans. But he's he brought in an assistant coach, Ernie, and I quite liked Ernie. I despised every part of his coaching, <laughs> single bit of it. And he was just long ball into the mix, um, position of maximum opportunity, hoofing it. And he did say the phrase to me quite soon after he took over as assistant coach, take any more than two touches before getting in the middle, I'm going to substitute you. I remember thinking, i got to leave. <laughs> Don't want to leave, I've got to go. I've got to go. I can't work under that. But I, I basically ignored him and did one thing, which is not a good thing for the coach, but it's not, I can't play that way. I just couldn't do it. It was stupid anyway, because I couldn't get it in after two touches because it just didn't belong. So there was that kind of feeling that it was beginning to fall away. A lot of the players didn't respect Ernie's viewpoints. Holly, I kind of, I kind of wish he would have just chosen someone else and he could have worked better because, I mean, he had some interesting ideas about the game as well. Uh, but certainly, John Neal was a, a top-class manager 
and him with his assistant team at Mill. They were incredible. Mm-hmm. And their coach, a one John Hollins. It was just a brilliant team. They were a fantastic group of teams together. Um, so when you look at what happened, and unfortunately, John Neal had to go because of his heart condition. Uh, what replaced him wasn't as good as John Neal. But then John Neal was beginning to prove he was one of the best in the business at that point in time. So it was a hard one to follow. And it was, it was tough on quite a few of, of us, particularly maybe me, but one of, quite a few others as well, where you know, it didn't matter really what you did. It wasn't going to work for you. Um, and I thought that that style didn't suit the types of players we had. And I think that was clearly proved right. <laughs> it didn't suit the type of players we had. And uh, because of that bad feeling, which had never been, started to erupt within the squad. And the defeat started to come. I mean, we held on well for quite a long time and still in ourselves became we're a good side because we had good enough players and we could score goals and we could create but it was cracking at the seams and you could feel it cracking at the seams can I tell you one other thing yes by all means yes very rarely talked about our pitch was garbage right absolute potato field and I see try to run with the ball uh, at your feet on the pitch that we had at the time particularly after Christmas I swear to God, it was like running on a lava field in Iceland. <laughs> it was just, the ball was everywhere. Man. And I remember actually going, walking into Bates' office and saying, come out, I want to show you something. And I got him out on the pitch, got a ball, and I said, watch this. And I rolled the ball across the pitch. And it, honestly, I'm bouncing up and down about two and three feet. You couldn't pass the ball along the ground. You couldn't run with the ball. It couldn't be done. And I began to think, you know what, probably we should just be lumping it along because you can't play football in this, high, this pile of garbage. I'm just saying to him, can you do it? Just relay it. And, and it was all money we can. I said, no, but we're a team. We'll hammer teams if we've got our pitch. But you're not giving us a field to play on. And I can remember quite a few times where final passes didn't happen. I was trying to do it and the ball bobbled. Or there was a tapping cross and it just bobbled straight over past your shin. I'm thinking any one of them goals would have saved us one season. But we kept on. And it was, it was kind of overlooked at the time. And maybe it wasn't often the done thing to really a pitch. But it's very, very clear that Stanford Bridge at times, after Christmas time, the pitch was an absolute shambles and it didn't suit us. And it's quite... There are many reasons why we faltered the second part of the season, but that was definitely one of them. I want to talk about that particular season later because um, there's a lot of questions that I, I do have on that. But just want to talk, briefly touch on the 85-86 season. Chelsea again finish sixth, but we do win the full Members' Cup by beating Man City 5-4 in it's just quite recently, I watched the actual highlights of it. But talk to us about that game, Pat, if you can. What was the feeling in yourself and amongst the boys in the build-up to the game? And for you, what was it like playing at Wembley? All right, it wasn't the FA Cup final or the League Cup, but it was a it was a final nonetheless. And what was your emotions like after the game, knowing that we eventually got we eventually won it, albeit it was five four. Yeah, 
Um, no, it was incredible. Um, it was in the middle of uh, an extraordinary run of games for us. We played the day before uh, against Southampton in uh, the league. We beaten them, I think, 1-0 down there. Um, and it was an extraordinary run of games. And we, we eventually got to that cup final. Now, I had played at Wembley before. Um, so, you know, I'm fortunate in my career, I've played quite a few times at Wembley. Um, but certainly went on to play, you know, for Scotland against England at Wembley as well. Uh, well, I was at Chelsea. But getting there, the thing was just the Chelsea fans being at Wembley again. It had been a long time for the Chelsea fans. Uh, and it, it was so overdue. And although we, people would think, well, is it, is it that important? It didn't, at the time, to the fans, it felt as important as the Champions League final. It was so needed. The club needed to be at Wembley. They needed to get together as a group of support and have a big day out. Um, and it was a stunning game. <laughs> it was an amazing game. I mean, we, we hammered them. We battled them. You know, I, I think I made a couple, um, two or three. Um, I can't remember. I remember certainly making two. But anyway, we uh, we played really well. We had a, Kerry wasn't even playing. We scored five goals and we had a Kerry on the bit, pitch. She was injured. Um. But the five, I think we're 5 1, we're about five minutes ago or something. Yes, that's right. We were 5 1 up within sort of te- five, ten minutes to go. And then Man City all of a sudden score three goals in the space of about five minutes. And you just sort well, we of see. Seemed... It wasn't that panicked, actually. It fell that way to the fans. But when the referee gave the penalty for the last one, I went over and I said, What are you doing? You're winding us up. There was never a penalty. He goes, Yeah, I'm winding up. Said, what do you mean? Was I'm blowing after this. I went, oh, well, I hope they spoil it. And he went, yeah. <laughs> so we got the penalty, but the referee said to me, it's okay, you've won. <laughs> Fair enough. Five, four sounds good. Um, so the referee was in on it uh, with, by the end. But it would been a, a shambles had we not won that. Because, but then, understandable nine goals. Because with both teams that played today before, we played an away game down in Southampton. Um, I... I can't admit, I wasn't particularly tired. I could play two games in two days. That's fine for me, you know, young enough and fit enough to be able to do that. Um, and you know, people often say, oh, the game's quicker now. You couldn't do that now. Yeah, you could. <laughs> <I'll say. laughs> um, especially as Wembley then was as big as it is now. It was a yeah. huge pitch, but also it was sapping, a really sapping type of uh, turf, whereas now less so. The pitches aren't really that way. So they kind of it was a great day. It was a moment. But I'll be honest with you, there's a picture of me or of us all with a trophy in front of the Chelsea fans. And I can see in my face, it's kind of not utter elation. It's a, right, that's the next step. We've got a trophy. Uh, and there's more. And mm. still felt like we're going that way. We could go that way. The thing is, we utterly imploded after that. <laughs> it just fell apart. Yeah. After that, too many injuries, too many games in quick succession, um, a variety of bits of bad luck. I think Eddie got injured, the keeper, and Eddie Nitsuki. And anything that could go wrong for Glenn Young for a period of time. And remember, it's the second part of the season. Our pitch is shambles. <laughs> and it was a nightmare after that. It was such a shame, though, because we still finished sixth, I believe. And, you know, you think sixth, that's pretty good. Not for that team. We were far. Once again, Miles better than six as a team. 
and you know, that, that's the disappointment of it. But you still think the next season you can do better. Um, but it got really, really well. Your personal accomplishments, though, you managed to get Player of the Year twice. It was in 84, so it was your first season, and then you won it again in 87. How did you feel about achieving these personal accomplishments, getting the Player of the Year? And, you know, where does this rank for you in your list of achievements? Right. It meant nothing. Sorry, but it didn't mean anything at the time. And the reason being is it was team player. Mm-hmm. And it's all about what happens for the team. It was just as I shrugged my shoulders. And, oh, that's nice. Thank you. Um, the fans make, must quite like me because they voted for it. Um, and uh, there's a, somewhere in the back, there's a wee bit of pride, but you're thinking, no, you know, a lot of other players played well there. I'm just part of the team. In hindsight, I feel totally different about it. <laughs> In hindsight, I think, brilliant. It's phenomenal to be player of the year for a club the size of Chelsea. Um, but I never wanted to rest in any laurels. I just wanted to move on, get better, improve, win more things. But I wasn't as interested in the personal things. I was interested in the team things. Uh, just my attitude was that at the time. But when I look back, maybe only 10, 15 years later, and saw the names in that trophy, and thought, wow, this <laughs> is on there. And not only that, it's on there twice. You know, there's yeah. Benetti, there's Cook, you know, there's, eventually there's Zolas, there's Hazards, there's, how good is it to have your name in that list? And it could be a fluke if it was there once, but it's there twice. It can't be that much of a fluke. It's, um, it's an elite list. And that shows you how tough it is to win. And if you just look at the team now, <laughs> how hard is it to get a player of the year at Chelsea? Jeez, oh, it's the quality of players there. So it was maybe not as hard back then, but it's something that in hindsight, and certainly if I'm doing talks to school kids and things like that, if you say the phrase, yeah, I was player of the year twice at Chelsea, and you say it in an offhand way, the jaws hit the floor. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I then own up that we maybe aren't, weren't as good a team as the current team, but it is something very, very special to have. So, retrospectively, um, and it's funny she said, I'm looking behind me now. And, and I found the trophy. I hadn't seen oh, it for you. about 25 years. And uh, I didn't know what it was. Because I don't keep things. I'm not a memorabilia collector. And uh, I found this old box, and I had, I had two old boxes I found up aloft, and one of them had old trophies and medals and things. And <coughs> and I didn't know which one was a player of years one because the kind of wee thing had fallen off with my name on it. So I had to go and look at old pictures to find out which was the one because <laughs> you get quite <laughs> old. Um, and I was also I found a box of strips which I forgot I had, and uh, that's an extraordinary thing to look through. And I've still got more. <laughs> my number seven from that 83-84 season, which is probably to this day still my favourite shot that I owned. Fantastic. Big question though, does it still fit? Um, I wore it recently <laughs> for, um, it was a kind of chat I was having a, a kind of webinar for all the Chelsea fans. Again, it was kind of a book promotion thing. And for a laugh, I just wore it for a and yeah, it's all right. I mean, I mean to be honest, 
it's tight. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've probably got I'm probably a stone and a half heavier than I was then, but I was too too light then. Uh, but yes, it, it's okay. It's That's it's good. a snug. <laughs> you should get it framed. You should get it framed. Um, I just never knew. I'd never thought. The great story about that strip because it's kind of iconic when the blue with the kind of pinstripe red and white. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a really nice iconic strip. I can remember many years later, I was uh, I was at the training ground up at Cobham doing an interview, and JT walked out with one of them, and they were it was framed. And I went, oh, they're really rare because trying to explain to younger people. We didn't get kits. We didn't have a name in the back. Number seven might be me this week. I might be number 11 next week or number 12 the week afterwards. You don't yeah. have a strip. <clears throat> there only were two or three kits. You didn't have one for every game. That's not how it worked. <laughs> if you actually got one of the originals, they are incredibly rare. And uh, there was JT walking out with an original. I'm thinking, that's damn depressing. I said to John... So the original goes, yeah, yeah, I got it from one of the players. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic, John. They're really there. Which player? He said, Mickey Thomas. Honestly, I nearly creased myself laughing. <laughs> Mickey, who is one of my favourite human beings who has ever walked on this planet, has spent time in jail for fraud. <laughs> <laughs> no way that was an original. No chance. <laughs> JT's seemed quite happy about it. As long as he was happy, that was the main thing. Something that wasn't happy, though, for Chelsea Football Club was your last season, the 87-88 season. Now, back then, Chelsea went down to the second division. And I've got a few questions about this because this has been covered a little bit on the podcast before by other players such as Steve Wicks and Tony DiRigo, just, just to name a few. But we've had players that were part of the squad that have mentioned how poor the squad morale was and the different cliques there were amongst certain of the boys. In your opinion, you know, how bad was the morale in the squad? Was it as how it was described? Did you see any particular issues amongst the team? And sort of touching on with other questions, did John Holland at this point, start to lose to the support of the dressing room at the point? And, you know, did Ken Bates play a part in the squad having issues whereby it affected them on the pitch? Um, I'm tempted to say all of the above. <laughs> we have problems. It's never one problem. <clears throat> it's always a number. Um, Holly got sacked partway through. Um, the, the, Annie Wally got sacked long before that. You know, the... the the, the understanding was that the team had said, look, like, we don't rate him. We don't want to play his style. Um, and, uh, but even so, as I remember, we actually weren't in a bad position, you know, halfway through the season. All right. Doing quite well, as I understood it. And then the cliff was falling completely off. Completely fell off the cliff. Side of the cliff. Um, second half of the season. And there wasn't a good spirit there. Um I've spent, I think it's somewhere like 40 pages trying to explain it <laughs> from my point of view. But seeing the midst of it, all those things you've said, you're right, people have talked about it before. And they were all the reasons. Can I throw one other reason in there? Yes, I mean, by all means, yes. Often 
talked about it, right? That isn't often talked about. How damned unlucky we were that season. It's staggering. All the reasons put together, had Eddie next week he'd been fit, we'd have been fine. We'd have been mid-table and above. No problem at all. But we were scoring. I'll tell you something. We scored in the league 50 goals that season, right? That puts us mid-table goal scoring. Queen's Park Rangers, who were fifth, didn't score that many goals. So you can see where the problems are. <laughs> yeah. We're scoring. We're all right. But we are leaking more goals than we used to. And it was mostly down to the fact that it was difficult because Eddie Knight's week was world-class keeper and we'd lost him. The other thing is, bottom three go down. Everyone knows that. We were fourth bottom. We were seven points clear. Seven points clear of what would normally be safety. And in any other season, we're seven points clear. But in this season, they decide that they need to get rid of one more team. So you you go into the playoffs with, team, for, for, with the teams from the other division. Yeah. That's all bad luck, yeah? We've also got 42 points, as have Charlton and West Ham. We are absolutely dead on the same points as two teams above us. One more point in any of those games, one post hit and going in instead of going by, we're, we're fine. We're absolutely fine. In fact, we're probably four places away from being fine. We are staggering. The amount of games we played where we battered teams and we beat one now. You know, and for all the fact that you look in hindsight, I went through all the games and some of the games, and yeah, we didn't have a big enough score. Yeah, we had um, internally, it wasn't a great feeling. The, the tactics weren't particularly good. We still were far, we were far too good to go, go down. We shouldn't have gone down because the bottom three were middle. Again, some of the players that I've spoken to, and even some that I've just looked down sort of the squad, you had players like Kevin Wilson, Clive Wilson. You know, just mentioned Tony Dorigo, you had John DeBumstead, Kerry Dixon, yourself. Not average Joes. These are Golden Jury was scoring brilliantly. Golden Jury, yes. And (coughs) you you sort of look at it. And you look at Chelsea fans don't actually mention Golden Jury's name, but I do. (laughs) As you say, you there was good players in that squad. And I believe the last game of the season was against Charlton, where we drew, and everybody who I've spoken to said. Chelsea should have won that game. How on earth yeah. did they not win it? Charlton were you know, defending for 90 minutes. There was you know, no attack whatsoever. Chelsea just couldn't hit the target, just couldn't score. And then we have the relegation playoff against Middlesbrough. And again, the, the unfortunate bit about having the relegation playoff, because I believe there wasn't wasn't that sort of long afterwards. They actually scrapped it. So that was only, I believe... That it was, was, that was, that was the only one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's amazing to think that that you know, would happen, but I, there's no way something like that could ever happen this day and age. Well, it, it could do if you need to get rid of a number of uh, some teams and get the Premier League smaller. But it's very, very unusual for it actually to happen. <clears throat> um, all of those things. I looked at some of the games we had that season. The draws we had, you know, we'd, we'd done, we played against Arsenal, we draw in Watford, we'd drawn with them, we had to draw with Oxford, 4 4, Everton, no, no. There was like Coventry. They just had draw after draw after draw after. We only needed one of them. We only needed one goal and mm-hmm. one of them. That's all it was. We were one solitary goal, one refereeing decision, one good save by a keeper away from actually being absolutely fine. 
Mm. And that was the pain of it. Um, another one which would drive you mad. We play in the playoffs, right? So in the playoffs, we've got a semi-final and a final, both over two legs. We win three of those four games. So we still be down. <laughs> yeah. Nice. We beat Blackburn home and away. We lose away to Middlesbrough. And Middlesbrough, we beat Middlesbrough home one now. And we battered the living daylights out of them that day. We again are one goal away. And explain it. It's like, see that nightmare dream you have where you can't run, you can't get away, you're, you know, like your legs aren't working. That's what it felt like at the end of that season. Uh, it was grossly unfair. In hindsight, it was grossly unfair. And it's seen as the most awful, terrible, disastrous stuff. But how close we were and we should have been to staying in the league and rebuilding the next season. The honest truth of the matter was it would have made no difference to me. I was leaving. Um, and that's the sadness of it. And I didn't want, I was desperate to leave us in the top league. Uh, I knew I was leaving the club. Uh, I loved the club, didn't want to leave. Um, but it had all been sorted. Um, I hadn't even been offered a contract. So the club clearly wanted the money, needed the money. Um, and that was very, very painful for me because I wasn't going to abuse a Chelsea f- club or fans or anybody or players when I left the club, because especially when it got relegated. Um, and it, it looked from a distance like we got relegated and I bogged off a sinking ship. Mm. And it wasn't like that. My leaving the club had been decided long before that. And I wasn't, as I say, wasn't offered a contract. The new direction of the club wasn't, didn't, didn't want me. And I kind of, my attitudes were very much a case of like, okay, I'll go on to the next thing, but this will always be the club I love. Because it was that summer after Chelsea went down, you joined Everton for just over £900,000. You've just mentioned that it was decided before. Sort of what time frame were we looking at that it was sort no, of decided I, I, that I, you I, was looking to leave Chelsea and then the offer of Everton came up? Was it sort of quite soon or was it? No, nothing quite, like that at all. In right. um, the time that um, the, the, the style had changed to be much more sort of one dimensional, get a lump into the mixer kind of stuff, it was clear that I shouldn't be there. That's not. Doesn't suit me. I don't, I don't play. I play it for the love of the game, not for any other reason. So it's pointless me being there. Um, when Ken got me in to talk about contract, he didn't offer me a contract. So when someone doesn't offer you a contract, you know they want you to go. If they're desperate to stay, they offer you a contract. I'm like, fair enough, I don't want you to stay. Um, I'd been made an offer uh, through an agent. I didn't have an agent, but an agent got in touch and said, look, there's a club that want you. If you're free, will you go? And I said, yeah. You know, I don't know what the cost will be, but I'll go. And I always, and I also, I always wanted to live in Paris, so I was going to PSG. So all organised, all planned, all done. Um, and even right at the end, when after after the end of the season, I had to go and see Betsy one last time, and we were laughing our heads off because he said, "I need to make your contract offer." It's exactly what you were on before minus signing on fees, which is a big drop. Mm. And, said, and that is legally the least you can offer someone to the penny, to the penny. 
so that you don't become a freak. That is basically saying, we want you out. We need the money. Uh, he didn't say we need the money, but clearly they'd rather have the money and we're going that That's right. Yeah. So I got, I got it. I mean, I got it. I was upset, but I wasn't blaming anyone. That's just life. You've got to move on. So I was sitting on the beach. So I went away with my girlfriend at the time, now wife. And we're sitting on the beach in uh, Corfu. And I'm a bit of a scruff, so it's a scruffy place where all the kind of Aussie backpackers were hanging out. And the guy who's running the taverna with wheels down above ran down. And he goes, hey, there is phone call, there's phone call. You must come, you must come. So I went up, took a phone call. It was my flatmate back in London. And he said, uh, Everton have been on, uh, Colin Harvey. He said he wants to buy you. And I went, uh, tell him I'll come. Okay. Because I hadn't promised PSG. PSG, through the agent, were offering me. All right. Oh, all right, Tom, I'll come. I put the phone down. And the weirdest thing, that was the contract talks. <laughs> it was not much. Just brilliant. Um, Just so sort of blasé on the <clears throat> phone on holiday. Yeah, yeah I'll go. That's fine. And he tracked me down. And Peter, my flatmate, told me what happened afterwards. Colin Harvey had phoned back later that night. He goes, did you go hold a pat? Did you go hold a pat? And Peter went, yeah, yeah. Peter, if you can imagine, Peter, Peter's a bit like Jeeves and Jeeves and Worcester, right? And Peter's like, um, Pat said he'll sign, so it's okay. And Colin Harvey's went, is that it? And he goes, yeah, Pat says he'll sign, he'll sign. Sorry. He goes, we haven't even talked money. He goes, I don't think Pat's really any money, so as long as you offer him something decent, it'll be all right. And Colin just went, you're serious, aren't you? That's just how it works. And he goes, yeah, that's how Pat works. All right then. <laughs> so I just finished my holiday, got a flight back to Heathrow, and then jumped on another one up to Manchester. And he was waiting there. Five minutes later, I felt I'd met another John Neal. You know, that's exactly how I felt. I'd met another John Neal. And within five minutes, you know, we were friends more than anything else. And, uh, you know, that, that's how it went. So, there was a sadness about it. I didn't get a real chance to say cheerio because the last game was that horrible, you know, relegation. Mm. Fans were upset on the pitch. There was a little while later, Colin Pates this testimonial. And it was very difficult for me. I was very busy. But I was desperate because I love Colin Pates. I thought he was a great player, but also a great friend and a completely surrealist madman. A lovely <laughs> guy. Um, him and Bumster just and Dale Jasper, the two of the three of the fantastic, most fantastic people I've ever met. And uh, I went down because I thought two things: I want to do it for him, but I want to be able to wave to the Chelsea fans because they might hate me because I left in the lurch um, and I didn't know. The really difficult one was a year later um, when I had to play against Chelsea when Chelsea came back up to the top division. And I remember, absolutely remember before the game thinking, what will happen if I find myself one-on-one with the Chelsea goalkeeper at the shed end? Could I do it? Could, could I actually do it to those fans? Could I round the keeper? And I thought to myself, don't be so stupid. That's not going to happen. You don't get one-on-ones in front of the shed end that often. Second half. One and one, Erwin Johnson, that's a bongo. <laughs> I've got half the pitch. I'm running towards Dave Besson thing. Can I do this? <laughs> Can I really do this? And of course, being professional, I've dummy uh, Big Besson and I've 
slid it into the into the net. And I'm running away thinking, oh my God, they must hate me. We applauded. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And to be honest, I knew Chelsea was always going to be my team. Whatever I'd done the rest of my career. But if I ever needed to be questioned the answer, <laughs> I got the answer there and there. Great moment. But again, to do that and Chelsea fans applaud you, you must have done incredible things that they've seen from you and they've stuck with you. They stuck with you all that time. And that, that must have been a great moment for you being the opposition player. Well, I mean, Chelsea fans were lucky. I mean, Kerry had scored two that day and Chelsea won 2-1. Um, but that probably helped, yes. <laughs> probably helped. <laughs> in reality, no. I I played five years for Chelsea. I can't remember a bad word. I spoke about Chelsea anytime we spoke about them. I, I had to speak up about things, the anti-racism stuff. It was, I had to do a lot of that stuff at the time. That didn't go down well with some people. But through Chelsea fans, they got it. Um, mm. They understood that. Uh, I had to kind of be a wee bit brave to stand up and say them things mm. say a few home truths and I think most Chelsea fans knew it that I did it through one reason or a number of reasons but one of the big reasons was a love of the club an absolute love of the club a love of the fans, the true fans I didn't like them being tarred with a brush that they didn't deserve to be tarred by um, and that I always fought the Chelsea fans corner and you consider my political, the way I'm viewed, etc. I often get asked the question, how can you support Chelsea? You know, the type of fans they've got. And I always say, because they're not the type of fans you think they are. Every club's got their small minority of people who misbehave or say things wrong or think differently from us. But in actual fact, it's not Chelsea fans. I know enough Chelsea fans to know that if for football fans, the way they follow their club is like no one else. It's extraordinary. Wherever you go, wherever you go and you play for Chelsea, the noise, the singing, the backing. And often, I've been at Chelsea games. How was it? Remember Man City a couple of years ago when we get absolutely murdered? <laughs> Man City was at 62 golfers. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, that, and I, I went, I took my wife and my son, uh, just as a fan. And I, I remember going down and thinking, you're going to get hammered today. We are going to get battered. Tactically, we were going to open. We hadn't learned about, we knew coach hadn't learned about the city yet. City were in fantastic form. And I actually warned my, my wife and my son, look, we could get a real battering today. We just stick by the team now. And we're going, oh, don't be stupid. Anyway, we got the real battering. But the Chelsea fans all around sang the whole way through. And that summed them up. I played for Chelsea when we beat 6 0 in this weird game by QPR. Um, and we were a better team than they we could beat 6-0 um, which is unthinkable for the team we were we're far better than that I mean we we were beating the champions of Europe Liverpool and stuff like that we were a team um, we just sang all the way through <laughs> like QPR we just sang solidly backing us up saying we'll be there next time so I mean, that is the thing about Chelsea fans it was, they do they listen mm. um, and they know they, they, I, don't, I can't tell you why but there was never a moment when we turned in. And I kind of, it was a lovely moment when that was underlined when I scored against Chelsea or any time I played against Chelsea. Can I tell you one final wee story, which just may, may sum it up, right? And it's not in my book because it's going to be in part two of this. So I'm giving you a sneak preview. Oh, this is good. Part two. 
Um, when I left Everton, because this book that I've written, The Accident Footballer, it finishes the day I leave Everton. When I left, left Everton, I went to Tranmere and I had a brilliant time there. I mean, a really brilliant time there. Uh, probably played the best football in my career in my four years there. And uh, it's about six months, four or five, six months into my time at Tranmere. And Chelsea were coming to play against Everton at Goodison. And I'm still living up in that neck of the woods because it's Tranmere's just around the corner. So I see my brother-in-law, I might go to the game. And of course, I've just left Everton. Everton fans were lovely with me, really nice men, brilliant, fantastic with me. And I had good and bad times there. And as I'm walking up towards Goodison Park, and then Don's in the, in those days, it wasn't all ticket. And it was a League Cup game, I think. You could just walk in and pay. I have to decide what end I'm going to walk in. Now, they, they, I've just left Everton six months ago. The fans were brilliant to me. But this is Chelsea. And my brother-in-law was going, you're going to have to decide here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so I did. So I, I made the obvious decision, right? So I went into Chelsea. And I've got a quote up, kind of December or whatever. I'm kind of trying to hide so nobody sees me. Because the last thing I want to be is recognised. Like being at a party, you know, supposed to be at. I don't really want anyone to recognise you. After about 10 minutes, I've got 10,000 Chelsea fans all saying there's only one bad name. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so nightmarish. Because those Everton fans going, you, we get you, you little <laughs> creep. You were just playing for us six months ago. And now you're up supporting the opposition. But it wasn't the opposition. It was Chelsea. It was my team. Uh, so it was never in doubt. Uh, Chelsea was always, whatever happened, it was always going to be my team and stay my team. Your love affair with Chelsea continued after your playing career because you ended up working for Chelsea TV and there have been many moments where you've been in the commentary position with a certain Jason Cundy and Ben Andrews. What's been that like for you, you know, being able to watch your beloved Chelsea? And I know you also do your weekly columns on the Chelsea website as well, and you talk about Chelsea in other platforms. But how enjoyable has it been for you to watch Chelsea, not just sort of as, as a fan, but also working and commentating with two other Chelsea mad supporters? It's, um, I love it. It's the best job you can get. You know, apart from playing... For Chelsea, it's the best job you get. Somebody pay, I get paid a, not a lot, I get paid nicely for going to watch Chelsea football. I mean, seriously, come on, that's it. It's just that's full stop. All the other stuff you talk about, that's it. Nothing beats that. I mean, I'm very fortunate. My other jobs, obviously, I work for BBC. I travel around the world with them, or I did until recently <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, I go to a lot of games for them, and so I've got a brilliant, brilliant job. The Chelsea. TV stuff, and I've, I've been writing the column now. I think I'm in column number 624 or 23 columns. I think I'm in column number 623 for Chelsea's website. I write for the program, um, and I obviously have to do these the big games usually. Um, yes, so I think I've done something like 623 columns the Chelsea website, and they're all a thousand words. That's a lot of words. <laughs> um, but it's always a joy to write about Chelsea. I mean, and also, I've got, I've got a conference with the programme, etc. You're right. Um, the, the TV and the app stuff is intriguing because 
particularly with, with, with Jason and Ben, if we're up together, I do generally the big games, you know, the European games plus you know, some of the bigger games. Um, it, it swaps about and they change it most years, but you know, it's, it's generally great fun. And when I'm up with Jason, I kind of, it's an unusual thing because Ben's a brilliant commentator. Jason is a fan with knowledge. Yes. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he'd hide that. He's a fan with knowledge. <laughs> There's no point in me being another fan with knowledge shouting the ball. And I, can, I have to give you context as well. So you need a little bit of a shade, light and shade with these things. So I, I kind of, I'm hyper when Chelsea score. Um, I'm, I'm protecting myself most of the self in in the best possible way. <clears throat> but we, we, it's a really interesting way the dynamic works. Um, but I just loved all the people I've worked with on the, over the years with Chelsea TV have been fantastic. And it's the only job that I've got that I fear losing. Because if I lose any more jobs, I'll just do something else. But this is the best job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope I keep on doing it. I can understand that. I can understand that. There was a video on our Facebook page and even on our Instagram of all you three. Although Ben Andrews has to sort of be partly sort of unbiased because he's still doing a job, but all three of you are going nuts because Kieran Trippier scored an own goal in <laughs> Tottenham against Chelsea. And Jason's going nuts. You're going completely insane. It's it's on our Instagram account. So, you know, if, if, if you can find it, I'll uh, try and share it with uh, other people as well. But as I'm saying, it's not just obviously yourself being a journalist, but it's three Chelsea fans just commentating on their beloved Chelsea and it's the same sort of feeling that us general fans get when we see Chelsea score especially when a rival scores in their own net yeah that particular one there was there, there have been some moments I mean the, the moment I think the moment with uh, uh, Fernando Torres breaking away against Barcelona um, I don't know if you get many better moments for that scoring uh, that was amazing but I, I mean, I, I suppose you look back on all those times and you think, well, it can't be any better. And then every season, with Chelsea, you think, actually, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so it's magical. And I was over in Porto for this game, um, which was staggering to be there because I turned down Munich to go and see my other team. Idiot. I, I turned down um, Munich because... I was working somewhere else. I was doing the Scottish Cup final. Hibernian, which is my Scottish team. I was playing Hearts in the Scottish Cup final. I hadn't won it for 100 years, and I turned up for that instead to do the TV in Scotland. And they get beat 5-1. So I missed the unit. So I was so happy. But there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic job and life following them. You know, it's, it's brilliant to be involved with this. Um, and in the midst of it all, as I say, I've written this book, and honestly, the Chelsea stuff in it, that is very, very funny. I mean, there's, you've asked about the things that happened during the season. But I do talk a lot about the individuals and the players and the unusual characters. All that stuff is really, really funny. And uh, the Chelsea fans that have read it, their reaction to me on Twitter, it's, it's been unbelievable. It's been absolutely incredible. So uh, I, I, I just hope it's many Chelsea fans, particularly at that time, but also current Chelsea fans have a read it because it's, it's it's kind of an outsider's view of what it was like inside so you get a really different viewpoint of it and I loved 
loved doing it. Um, in fact, you've just reminded me, the club shops bought in a whole bunch more of the books, so I'm going to go and sign them all. I'm going to go in and sign them all, so that if you buy one, you'll get a signed copy. Well, for those that perhaps have been living under a rock for a while, you have an autobiography out at, at the moment. It's been out for about a couple Maybe. of months now, hasn't it? It's called The Accidental Footballer. I've just got two questions about this book, uh, Pat, if I can. Why write it now? And what sort of can fans that perhaps haven't got the book but would like it expect from the book from you? And overall, what's been the overall feedback from Chelsea fans to you <laughs> that have contacted you on social media ab- about the book? Right. The, the feedback's been bizarre off the scale. It's generally got uh, four and a half, five stars and all the websites have been checked out on. Um, Chelsea fans have loved the insight. Um, the notes, you know, because you've, you've talked to a lot of ex-players and everyone had their own viewpoint. My viewpoint was very much to stand back because I used to stand back and watch everybody. So you're not getting a biased viewpoint, I don't think. Yeah, I've got some more biases, more opinions. There's plenty there. But I do think you do hear a lot of stories and versions of it because I'm not an insider. So I don't see the world the way the rest of the players do. So you're, def- you're seeing a really quite unusual uh, viewpoint. I hope it's really well written because I wrote it. <laughs> I didn't get a ghostwriter. I think that comes across, you know, if it's your voice as opposed to a writer's voice. Um, so I'm kind of pleased with that, that the kind of reaction with the writing style. It's, it's easy, it's fun, it's enjoyable, the serious stuff there as well. Uh, but it does give an insight into stuff, times that have been talked about before, but not in this way. You're probably going to get if you think you know that period, I would say ninety percent of the stuff that you read will not be what you think it is. It'll be di- it'll be a different viewpoint from what you think. Yes, you'll get all the history of what happened and what seasons. Yeah, we can all look that up on the internet. So what? You see, if you want to get an insight to personalities and people, and, uh, there's, a, there's a particular set of stories about a guy called John McNaught, and I just loved writing them. John McNaught. Most Chelsea fans are going, who? And I understand that. I didn't play many games for us. But the stories behind John are amazing. And I loved, loved writing those stories and telling those stories. So the, the reaction's been on, off the scale. You actually don't need to be a football fan to read this book because it's mostly about the concept of being an outsider and being able to be yourself. It's okay to be different. And there's nothing wrong with being different. And if you're different and confident in yourself, you can be respected and accepted. Um, but it was interesting to see how the different players coped with my weirdness. So if I was at the ballet one night and come in the next day and they were all saying, what were you doing? Oh, I went to the pub, I'd done this, I'd done that. What did you do, Pat? Well, I stood in the wings at the Royal Ballet because my friend, she's a ballerina and a principal at Covent Garden. <laughs> They're all going, hey! <laughs> And that's just kind of one tiny little snippet of I was I had this very, very different life out with my football. Um, my music stuff, my friends were all musicians or the actors, etc. Or or bin men, just interesting people. Um so I I do hope I've kind of really I've I've never said this. You asked me a question earlier, a really good question. How proud I was of the player years, and I'd said, you know, not at the time. 
you know, but afterwards, yeah, kind of thing. But it's not a phrase I would use. I'm really proud of this book. <laughs> this, this is the first thing I always say. I'm really quite pleased with it. I, I think it's actually it's kind of probably worth reading. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a salesman. I'm rubbish at selling. <laughs> um, but honestly, the, the reaction has generally been people have loved right. it. Uh, so I, I just hope uh, anyone else who, do, who does go and get, get it just loves it as well because it's, the reaction has been good. Well, for those that haven't got it, please buy it. Pat obviously has put a lot of time into it and there are some great stories in there that, again, if you're a Chelsea fan and you appreciate the club's history, you're, you are going to enjoy it. We are going to put a link up on our Facebook page and Instagram page once this episode goes out. So please buy it. It's a great book. You will not be disappointed. Pat, I've just got a few more questions. Um, a question that I've asked every guest that I've had on, on the podcast since we started doing the interviews and some have been for it some have been pr- very much against it what's your thoughts on VAR um, yeah I'm a fan I wanted to work um, it's not been used well uh, VAR is good uh, the usage of it's been poor uh, I'm one for getting the right results when we possibly get the right results this season very early on this season they seem to be closer to it you know, and I know that a lot of the fans are fed up with it um, but if I'm a footballer and I play my whole life, let me give you an analogy. Here's an analogy for me, right? I'm an alien and I've come from a different planet, right? And I've come down and I'm very interested. You've got this game called football. And this is the World Cup final you've got. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And many people will watch it. Oh, out of seven billion, whatever, will watch it. The alien's very impressed. And then you say to the and, and all these many games have been played, there's hundreds of games, and people have worked their entire life to get to that final. And they said, Well, who do you get to make the decisions? Well, we, we, we get the person, the only person who can't see the decisions to make the decisions. Everybody else in the world can see them. Everybody in the stand can see them on the phone. Everybody in tele can see them. Everyone can see that something's wrong. But we decide to let the one guy who can't see the video before VAR, he's the one guy that we let decide. And we don't give him any help. Just to make it even stupider, we don't give him any help. We just leave him on his own. So all this work for four years that will last for history forever could all be messed up by this one stupid mistake. I think that's daft. (laughs) I think we have to find a way of getting it to work. And I think we're getting close now. I think this year's been closer. I personally think the mistake was the English, and I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm Scottish. I love, you know, I've I lived in England for years. I have no anti-Englishness. The, the arrogance of the English officials was the problem. They decided to do it away. Nobody else was doing it. We'll do it early. We'll do it extreme. And they did this extreme version of it last year. And they made a backside of it. Well, have a look at it this year. It's getting closer. It takes a wee while. You will never go back. You can cry all you like. You're not going back. God, get this right. Every other sport's got it right. We can't be stupid. We need to get it right. So I'm not a big fan of the way it was done. But if it's done right, I think it's, it's, it's not only important, it's vital. Interesting. We shall see how VAR pans out this season for Chelsea. Um, Chelsea this season doing very well at the moment. We've just started the season. 
current European champions. Some people are calling us favourites to win the league, but Pat, what are your overall thoughts on this current Chelsea team under Thomas Tuchel? Well, intriguingly, I've already been to see Man City this season, been to see Chelsea this season, and I've been to see Manchester United already in the flesh. So, because I think we're in the top four. I, I mean, that that's no big, bold thing to say, is it? That's not really that bold, is it? <laughs> Considering the squad we've got, that squad's scary. That squad, <laughs> I think, you know, depth-wise, it's the best I've seen. You know, depth-wise, I don't see that we've had a better... Now, we might have had better teams. We certainly, that period with JT and Frank and Didier, you know, there's periods when it's been phenomenal. But strength and depth. If you can leave and go or can't get out of your team, and it doesn't need to really change, <laughs> you think, oh, God, you're good. Right. And you can leave Thiago Silva out of your team, and it has no effect. That's he's possibly the best of his generation. That's unbelievable. And you look all the way through it, and okay, the, the thing missing was lack of a 20 goal uh, season scorer. And you've just brought, brought in Lukaku, who, if he's if he's work rate and attitude's exactly the same as it was against the Arsenal, that's a piece of cake. Man. I'm looking at five, six players in that front line behind Lukaku, and I, I, I also am looking at. Um, Kai Havertz and thinking you could be one of the best players in the world. You know, everywhere I look, it's just astonishing. I mean, who's going to play wing back? Is it going to be Aspie? Is it going to be Callum? Is it going to be Reese? Everyone looks brilliant. I mean, it's just everywhere you look, it's just astonishing. I've watched wee Billy Gilmore for a long time. Any player who of that quality can't even get in the squad. <laughs> He's unbelievable. He's a brilliant player. So, you know, I, I'm hyper excited. Um, hope we get lucky. We need luck. Um, with a bit of luck, we can win the league, yes. Um, but City are a good side. Actually, yeah, I think we're up there. I think it could be between us and them. Uh, but don't write off Liverpool and don't write, write off United. They're both very good teams. It's going to be a real battle. I think we'll be first or second this season. I really do. Interesting. We shall wait with interest in regards to how Chelsea develop. Is also with the Champions League returning in September as well. But Pat, one final question from me, which has been a superb interview. And again, thank you for your time today. How do you look back on your Chelsea career overall? Oh, that's a great question. Um, no, joyously. Absolutely joyously. We, we didn't win the trophies. We, we went through trophies, but they were minor trophies. Um. But it was a joyous time in my life. Uh, I look at life, people often say it's, it's the trophies or the goals you scored or whatever, right? all that stuff. I'm kind of not like that and I never really have been. It's the happiness you get. It's, you kind of, in the end of your life, you kind of, you want to look back and I want to look back in happiness. And I can tell you the, happy, the, the happiness I got from my time at Chelsea was off the scale. Um, a joyous part of life. I met some incredible people. I could not have done it and would not have done it without the Chelsea fans. I couldn't. Because remember, I'm a kid. I'm very young. I've gone to a strange city. I'm playing in a style that you make mistakes. You try stuff and they don't always work. 
How come the Chelsea fans thought, no, no, it's okay, Pat, we know. Do it again. Because they're Chelsea fans. Because that's what they do. They're not moaning complaining to people who they know are A, trying their socks off, and B, are creative. They will give you, excuse a classic example, a totally different player. Timo Werner misses a whole bunch of chances last season. And there's no fans there. And then they turn up for the first game and Timo misses a chance and he's expecting to get abuse. And they, and they absolutely roar to get behind him. That's it. Now, the Chelsea fans are annoyed like everybody else. But see when you are and see when you try to do the right things, Chelsea fans are with you. So they made my life happier. That's how I look back at it. Chelsea Football Club and the fans. And let's be honest, the fans are the club. They made me a very, very happy human being. Can't get any better than that. So that's how I look back at my time at Chelsea. Fantastic. Well, I hope the fans of the Blue Day podcast enjoys this. I know I've certainly enjoyed speaking to you and reflecting back on your career. Pat, all I can say, thank you very much. And hopefully see you down the bridge very, very soon. Oh, I will be. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Keep the blue flag flying high. That's a that's, that's simple, simple answer. Simple point. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.